Welcome to Boiling Point, the podcast to motivate ever-evolving entrepreneurs and forward-thinking movement pioneers. Our hosts, filmmaker Greg Hemmings and executive coach Dave Vale, are turning up the heat in the world's business communities. Our interviews with entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers are raising the temperature of inspiration. Live from the hottest studio in this quadrant of the universe, here are Dave and Greg. Dave, how are you? I'm great. <laughs> Man, it's been a while. It's oh, been it, a while. It's, it, been, it's been a while. It's been exciting because we, uh, some in- interesting blogger, uh, uh, who lives within the CBC Dragon's Den lair, uh, voted us as uh, one of the top eight entrepreneur podcasts to listen to. So that's pretty cool. That is very cool. And and what was really interesting is um, uh, we're in some good company, I believe. Yeah, we've got like Entrepreneur on Fire with uh, John Lee Dumas, uh, and who, who he, in my opinion, is the number one entrepreneur podcast. Uh, to be you know clumped in a group with people like him, yes, killer. Yeah, and and, the, and what was really cool was the way we found out about it, which was a listener yeah. let us know. And his name is, I think I want to say, Andrew. It was Andrew Miller. That is pretty cool. Andrew Miller, one of our most faithful listeners, yes, uh, actually stumbled upon this and sent it to us. And we're like, wow, that's really nice to know. Which tells you and I that it's not time to quit. we got to keep this thing going. Absolutely. Like, people, people are actually listening. And I'll tell you why people listen. How come? Because we have guests like the next guest. Tell me about the next guest. This guy. Let, 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 let me guess. There's some sort of connection between you and hockey and, and, and this. There, there may be. There may be. So we have uh, Dr. Mark, Pel- Mark Pelche on the line. Mark, hello. Hi, guys. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on, buddy. I've been, we asked you a, f- a few times, um, and it's, you're a tricky guy to get in. You know, you're a busy guy, but you made some time for us this morning. I, I'm, I'm hoping that he's taking this call from the, uh, the OR right now. He may be. Yeah, we're just uh, we're just taking a little break on bypass here, and uh, we're gonna finish <laughs> the rest later. Um, no, and I apologize, David. I've been meaning to uh, get together with you guys, but I take full blame for not being able to connect sooner. So no, no worries. Hey, listen, we're just really happy we, that we we found a time that works. And and uh, Greg, for you, a little background, and Mark and Mark, you'll do a better job of introducing yourself. You'll notice that. In, in previous podcasts, we'll do a quick intro, but we'll really let the, the guests introduce themselves because they'll do it much better than, than Greg and I could ever do. But um, I met Mark, I'm going to say, four years ago, maybe, yeah, probably about four years ago. Yeah, I that did, sounds right. That's not right, eh? I, I did an interview with him. I heard these great stories about this guy. You got to meet Dr. Pelche. So I got a chance to interview him for the Telegraph Journal, my Leadership Unleashed column. And um, and we started chatting about a whole bunch of things. It was a really interesting interview. I learned a lot about um, uh, just the art of, of even, uh, you know, when you're with a patient, you know, just asking good questions and listening, uh, amongst other things, um, that really, for me as a coach, was really interesting to hear um, you know, how important it is not to lead a patient and all this kind of stuff. So, so we, you know, the conversation started there, but there, there's also some other interesting um, parts of Mark's history, like the fact that he's from northern New Brunswick, the fact that, um, so, and for our listeners, we're in New Brunswick, Canada, Atlanta, Canada, um, that he went away, he was in, uh, he, he, he studied in Montreal, went to Stanford, um, was doing some very cool stuff there, like I'm thinking like kind of leading edge stuff. And came back to New Brunswick, and he's at the New Brunswick Heart Center, 
Um, and another piece of the story is, you know, we, we became, I would, I, I consider Mark a friend. We became friends. We did a little bit of work together. And at one stage, and this would be a, this would be a podcast unto itself. Um, he invited me in to, to watch, uh, heart surgery. So I got to watch Mark and his team perform, perform open heart surgery. And, um, I, I, I made it, but barely through the experience. <laughs> Well, Dave, you were great. You, Dave, you did that, great, Dave. That was a great podcast, and uh, I'm glad I got to hear all about Mark from you. Thank you, <laughs> Mark. I'd love to hear about you. <laughs> well, wait, wait. I didn't talk about hockey yet. <laughs> Let Mark talk for goodness sake. We'll have time for hockey. I'm a big, uh, later, I'm, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. So, Mark, over to you, buddy. How would you introduce yourself? Since Greg, Greg does is tired of listening to me talk. Well, I think you did a great job, Dave. I don't think there's anything else I can say, but uh, no. Listen, you did great in the operating room that day. You did better than some of our medical students, so you should feel proud about that, okay? I, that, yeah, there's another story there, but I did, oh, thank you. That was very kind. So yeah. so tell us a little bit. Of, yeah, like, you know, we're interested in, in, in kind of a number of things, but one is um, just kind of, you know, from northern, a, a young man and a young boy in northern New Brunswick to, uh, you know, a place like Stanford and back, like maybe you can give us a little, um, just a, a, you know, a bit of, you know, how this, tra- how this happened, the trajectory and, and, uh, and sure, what brought sure. you back and, and what you've learned and, and how you're applying it here. Yeah. And, um, you know, look, I'm, I'm very fortunate in a lot of ways that I was able to come back to New Brunswick because there are a lot of us from the Maritimes that go on and get educated, have a job, do something and would love to come back. But, Sometimes the economic climate or the job opportunities are not there to really allow us to come back. So I was fortunate to have that opportunity. We've been back now for uh, almost eight years. Um, And definitely one of the biggest draws back was being from this province. My wife is also from New Brunswick. So we had actually been outside of the province for about 17 years. So I went to Mount Allison and at that point, left the province. There was no medical school in New Brunswick at the time, and now we have two. There's one in Moncton and one in St. John. And I went to Dalhousie and Halifax for four years. I then went to do surgery and cardiac surgery at McGill for six years. And then I went to Stanford for a year to do heart transplants and mechanical artificial hearts. I got my first job at the University of Toronto at Sunnybrook Hospital. I lived and worked there for about three years. And I went back to Stanford for about four years to work there as an associate assistant professor at Stanford doing, uh, and you're right, a lot of really um, interesting operations, a lot of transplants in both children and adults, ranging from heart transplants to lung transplants to heart-lung transplants. Um, and probably an extremely rewarding part of my career. In fact, some of those people I transplanted you know, 14, 15 years ago, still keep in touch. And there was one guy that we spoke a few days ago about maybe meeting up in Boston, um, you know, where his family is. He now has gone on to be married and he has two kids. So to be part of somebody's life like that is um, is just a real privilege. So after after about 17 years, we decided that the time was right. We had um, we have four boys. They were all young. And we felt that if we were going to raise them and, and had a chance to raise them in our home province, that that was maybe a good thing to do. So we made that decision at the time to come back, and you and you came back, and you are currently um, the head of the department. I think is your what is your current title? Yeah, so I work at the New Brunswick Heart Center, and I'm the head of cardiac surgery at the New Brunswick Heart Center uh, in New Brunswick. All the major heart procedures are done here at the heart center, both in terms of surgery and in terms of uh, cardiology. 
And uh, so I came back and I replaced a gentleman called uh, named uh, Jim Parrott, who had started the Heart Center back in 1991 on the surgery side. Uh, and he had been here for many years and was looking at retiring. And uh, I came back um, and am the head of a group. We have four cardiac surgeons in New Brunswick, uh, so I'm in charge of that group. Well, this is really interesting, Mark, because uh, you are the first, um, you know, quote unquote, non-entrepreneur that we've had, I think, on the on the podcast. And it's interesting because what you do uh, is so incredibly relevant to what we do in business when it comes to leadership and management and thinking creatively and thinking on the spot. Uh, so it feels to me by listening to to what you're doing is uh, uh, you actually are living an entrepreneur's life, uh, you know, in the space that you're working in. And I, I'm always trying to, to draw parallels between other industries and and, uh, yeah. and, and growing build businesses. Why don't, why don't we hear from you any parallels that you see? Because uh, uh, yeah. you, you know a little, uh, quite a bit, I'm sure, about a lot, a lot of people that are running their businesses and, you know, managing people and all being creative and all that sort of thing. What, what do you see in your world that has some parallels? Yeah, so a great question, a lot of parallels, and I, I think when I came here, and in fact when Dave and I first started speaking, there were a lot of parallels, and I think in the way that uh, I saw what we do. So, you know, in New Brunswick and cardiac surgery, it's a little bit different than some other areas in that we have no competition in a sense. There's no other cardiac surgery in the province. Now, having said that, uh, when I arrived here in 2007, uh, we worked with the government and we looked at where patients were having surgery in New Brunswick. And from a business standpoint, you'll relate to this. We looked at the number of surgeries that were being done, which were about 600 operations were being done in New Brunswick at that time. Yet on the other hand, about an average of 220 operations were being done outside of the province on New Brunswickers. So for whatever reasons, patients were being sent to either Quebec or to Nova Scotia and were not staying within the province. When we looked at that, it was an annual cost to the province of about $3 million. So $3 million was leaving the province at that time to support those operations being done in Quebec or in Nova Scotia. So that's money that's being exported from the province, that's leaving the province, that will never come back into our own tax base. From So, you know, excluding transfer payments from a purely fiscal standpoint, that didn't make a whole lot of sense to us because we had the capability to do that here. So kind of in a business sense type of way, we started to meet with our stakeholders. So those would be people within the province that were sending these patients to us, but also sending them away. And we came to find out what the metrics were that were causing them to leave the province. So on, on one level, it was linguistic. So as you know, New Brunswick is a bilingual province with about 65% of the population being primarily Anglophone and about 35% being primarily Francophone. And there was no real francophone presence here in St. John being in the southern part of the province. And so for some patients, it was a lot better for them and their families to be sent to the Quebec side. On the other hand, we had patients that were going uh, also to other provinces because it was perceived that there were certain procedures that we were not doing. Uh, perhaps some of the more complex procedures were not being tackled. So when I came back, um, I came here directly from Stanford, uh, where we would do the most complex procedures in the world. I thought... Uh, that we could bring a lot of that expertise to here. And that expertise already existed. It wasn't that I was bringing it, but hopefully facilitating it. So with meeting uh, with those stakeholders, we then internally did a review and we asked every different department here um, what it would take to be able to accommodate and repatriate some of those cases. And so we went to respiratory, anesthesia, ICU, and every 
little bit of that came back and they said, okay, well, we would need one nurse. We would need two nurses. We would need one physician. And when you added all that up, it totaled just about $3 million. So at that point, we were able to go to the government and make a, a fi- fairly strong business case to say, look, we're exporting all these patients, if you will, um, and we're, in a business sense, we're losing market share because these clients, these patients are going somewhere else. And we can do that work here, and we can do it within our province, and we think it's cost-effective to do it that way. Um, and we had a very good business plan because the cost of doing that was about the same as the cost of exporting them. But in this manner, that money went to nurses' salaries. It went to other areas where the money was kind of coming back into the system. So the government responded favorably to that. They allowed us to increase our volume and to do more surgeries. And with that, we were able to hire another surgeon um, who was a wonderful individual with a PhD and uh, brought a lot of clinical and research expertise to our group. And you know, really was the start of us being able to start to grow the program, whereas for years it had been somewhat stagnant. So, you know, I, I hope that's a good parallel, but to me it, it sounds like one. Oh, it's, it's so relevant. The, the, the parallel is huge. Were you well, saying, no, I was just going to, and, and, and another, I think, interesting parallel that a lot of entrepreneurs can relate to, um, and I'd love your perspective on this, Mark, is, you know, when you're describing this, you know, you you know really very, very business savvy, in my opinion, you know, given... And, and I'm sure, you know, the experience, the Canadian and U.S. experience has been very interesting from that standpoint. But what about your personal experience from being the practitioner to the now being, you know, essentially the leader, right? Um, and, and, and not only, you know, do you, you want to be in, in surgery, performing great surgery, but you also want to be, um, as you say, very, you know, fiscally responsible, making good business case, you know, getting patients in, shifting the department um, to make sure you can support a broader a broader client base, that sort of thing. What was that yeah. shift like for you? Because a lot of entrepreneurs deal with this, right? Absolutely. Greg, the filmmaker, then all of a sudden he's the, the CEO of Hemming's House Pictures, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's a shift. Yeah, that's right. And and I'll say that it's an ongoing challenge because um, I, I, I sometimes am envious of entrepreneurs who are in their own business because they really – they do control everything, right? What I'm what I'm not envious is that with that, they have to really manage their bottom line very carefully and it's sometimes do or die. So I'm in an interesting position in which um, I, I get to control part of the direction of where we go. But on the other hand, I have to do it in collaboration and get agreement from organizations that move very slowly. So in our case, Horizon Health, which is the health authority, is a huge health authority. The Department of Health as well manages the budget, and as you know, New Brunswick, as with every other province, is fiscally very challenged right now. So sometimes some of the things that you do are counterintuitive to what Horizon, the Health Authority, or the Department of Health are trying to do, which is to kind of scale back and manage budgets. And sometimes what we're trying to do, which is to start a new procedure or be able to provide patients with more timely care, those are all somewhat costly. So you're you're really trying to manage uh, those two aspects uh, of it as well. Yeah, I, I, I feel that I can relate to that uh, really strongly because we do live in a very interesting province here. And, uh, you know, making note that people listen to our podcasts from everywhere, but New Brunswick uh, is one of these places that is in a recession uh, of sorts right now. And the uh, being so careful with every dime spent on a budget is where the leadership is, is is focused on right now, where I think a little bit more of the entrepreneurial mindset is saying, 
okay, true, we, we need to be fiscally responsible, incredibly, because we're going uh, into a, a direction we shouldn't be going in. However, making investments like you did, Mark, uh, or you suggested in saying, instead of, we're already spending $3 million, but it's, yeah. it's leaving, even if it costs us $3.5 million to keep those here, well, those, those extra nurses and that extra surgeon uh, and all the support staff are being paid as New Brunswick taxpayers. And just the trickle down is great. And it feels like oftentimes when we get into a crisis mode, which we're, we're, we're in right now as a province, that it's like, let's just look at the, the nickels and dimes right now, not the long term. So as yes. entrepreneurs, I feel that as soon as we start getting into that mode, we're about to die. And we always have to be looking forward to how is this one nickel going to affect us in the future, this one investment. And uh, that's really neat. I, 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 I never even thought of that from a head of a department, how you'd have to be you know, managing and juggling that sort of thing. Well, I think we're entering a very interesting phase in that Medicare in Canada and how we take care of patients has primarily been, um, at least in the last 30 to 40 years, very government-driven. So everything is um, under the umbrella of the government, whether it be uh, the people who clean the floors in the hospital, who serve the food, the nurses, the physicians. And I think it's very clear when you listen to the language that's being discussed, we're moving into uh, some element of privatization in the Canadian healthcare system. And I don't want people think privatization, they think, oh, well, you know, physicians will now start charging outside of Medicare. And I don't think that's the type of privatization that governments are talking about. I think they're talking about, for example, um, let's take custodial services. So the people that uh, clean the floors, clean the rooms, and all that, there is a move and a push to perhaps get some of those people away from underneath the direct funding umbrella of government and maybe to look at outside corporations that can come in and are directly accountable so that if your floors are not being cleaned the way you want them to or the bathrooms, that you have somebody who's very accountable because they've had to bid on that project and they've had to bid on that contract. So I think when you start to listen to some of the language in this province and other provinces, uh, there is talk of privatization, and I think you will start to see some of those private industries making an impact in, in the healthcare system. I think already you're starting to see uh, a little bit of that. It, it's interesting in that physicians often have to work as, as they're really entrepreneurs in the sense that they have a business uh, and they have people to pay, they have rent to pay, and the income and how they manage that income, uh, they have to be very, very careful. And, and one of the things that I think we do very poorly in medicine is that we do a very good job of teaching doctors how to be doctors and take care of patients, but we don't sometimes do a very good job of teaching them how to be businessmen and businesswomen because that's really what they're often doing. They're running a business. They have sometimes several employees under their hire. They have to buy equipment. Uh, they have to lease equipment, and they have to make payments on all that. And, and sometimes some of them are just not very well trained in, in how to do that. And I, I find that that's a problem across all sectors uh, in the fact that when I, I went to film school for three years and we learned how to use cameras and edit and theory of film and whatnot, as soon as I got out into the real world and had to actually put a budget together or understand how to pay income tax or uh, yeah. deal with payroll or you know any of these sort of things, I was completely lost. And I was like, yeah. why don't they teach in film school Business, basic business. And then I started thinking for employees, it doesn't have to be heads of department. Can you imagine if going through the, the whole education system, like all, right through high school, junior high and elementary school, kids were learning basic business principles because that would make them that much stronger as fantastic team members and under, understanding what it takes, you know? Or, or even just being financially literate. Absolutely. 
absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, you know, and I think when you look at a global picture, um, and you can extrapolate that argument as well to really the Department of Health of a province, right? So if you look at New Brunswick, the annual budget for the Department of Health is about $3 billion. So imagine any company, so Google, Yahoo, let's say that their market cap is $3 billion. And you say, every four years, we're going to change your CEO. And that CEO, maybe that CEO was a school teacher last week, and he gets elected, and all of a sudden, you know what, there's a major shift at the top and we're just appointing this new CEO who has very little experience and we're expecting that person to manage a $3 billion company. And if you think how challenging that would be. So inherently, I think the way that we are structured um, is, is unfortunately very flawed because of that reason. And I hope that we'll see provinces like New Brunswick or other provinces moving more to maybe more of a Scandinavian model or a you know, so having a healthcare commission paying a proper CEO to properly manage a $3 billion company. And, and that, I think, is one of the main challenges that we face. If we really fiscally want to regulate healthcare in this province and across the country, we have to start managing it a little bit more like a business, which we haven't done. It's been managed like a political potato. Um, and, and I hope that we'll see us going in that direction in the years to come. I fully agree with that statement. Yeah, I uh, think I think you're going to get a lot of uh, a lot of people listening to this would be in full agreement as well. So, Mark, I'm going to shift the conversation a little bit. Um, curious, like personally, you know, for you, um, uh, you know, in your career, you know, you come back to to New Brunswick. Um, what were the challenges for you? I mean, I know you, you I know a lot, you know you've done it for for great reasons, and and it sounds like you know it's been a great experience. But I'm guessing that you know leaving a place like Stanford um, means that you know in terms of uh, some of the things you'd be involved in, you just you just the reality is you're just not going to be involved in it in in because it wouldn't make business sense uh, here in New Brunswick. Um, can, you, can you walk us through that? Just, you know, what, like, you know, how did you, how did you wrestle with that? And, you know, where are you now with that? I mean, and, and, and how sure. are you feeling? Yeah. And I think um, it's been an inter- very interesting process. And, you know, at, at different phases of your life, depending on the ages of your kids and things, you, you look at things a little bit differently. When, when we left Stanford, it was really to reestablish a balance uh, in my life in the sense that uh, in the American system, um, as a physician, there's a you work much harder in the sense that you have to be on call all the time you're accountable to your clients in a very different way than you are with the Canadian system the plus side in the American system is a fundamental difference in how fiscally responsible the hospitals are and how they function so as an example in the American system every patient who walks into the hospital is a source of revenue for that hospital. So as a physician, if you do anything that brings in patients or provides patient care, you're actually creating revenue for that hospital system. In the Canadian system, it's completely the opposite. There's a funding envelope at the beginning of the year. A hospital is funded for so much money. So every patient that's walking into that hospital and and consuming anything in that hospital, whether it's a test or a procedure, is starting to bring that total down. So every patient in Canada is a cost to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So fu- fundamentally, it's a very, very different uh, thing between the two uh, systems. So what that meant was that in the States, there's a the pressure to bring in patients, do more, do more, be on call more, do more procedures. Whereas when you come into 
the Canadian system, you come in and you want to do all these things, and then the system holds you back a little bit. And they say, well, we only have so many days you can operate. We only have so many nurses that can help you operate on this day and that, that type of thing. So, so that's been a, a major challenge. So on one level, it was very nice at the beginning, and the reason we did this was to reestablish a little bit of a better balance in my life. But then the challenge has been that as we try to do a little bit more, uh, push innovative strategies, uh, whereas at Stanford that would have been embraced and absolutely, what do you need and we'll do it tomorrow. Here you have to, every time you want to do something, you have to build a business case. You have to try to uh, ensure that it's somewhat cost neutral. Uh, and, and that's kind of the challenge that you face. So it, it becomes a a little bit of a slower system uh, in Canada for that for innovation for trying to do things that are are newer and better. Luckily, we've had some good, um, you know, we've we've been able to convince people that certain things that we do are, are very good and they've bought into that. But it certainly takes a bit more work here in the Canadian system. So, so for Greg, that would mean you know, I mean, I'm just trying to draw a parallel like we were earlier. Yeah. Um, you know, you can shoot these types of videos at Heming House, but you can't do this type of work, right? I mean, and, and on some level, I'm guess, or, or in my case, you know, you can coach uh, mid-level managers, but not executives, you know what I mean? Because it's too expensive to get to that, that upper tier of, of uh, you know, coaching. Um, so, so for, you know, I mean, I can't help but think on some level, you know, that's a little frustrating. You know, it can be very frustrating. I think um, what you have to remind yourself is that I, I do think fundamentally that as Canadians that our healthcare system um, is more ethically correct. I think the fact that every single person in this country has ac- access to uh, to healthcare, I think, is um, as a baseline of a society. I think that is the most important thing that we have going for our healthcare system. On the other hand, the cost of it and being almost totally borne by the government is a tremendous cost, and we're going to be entering into an era where those costs will be difficult to manage. We consume healthcare dollars at the end of our lives, and we have a huge bubble of um, baby boomers that are just starting to get into that age where they will start to consume medical care resources. And, and that will be the part that's, that's very challenging, right? And governments are dealing with very tight budgets. Uh, they're running deficits on a yearly basis. So anything you want to implement is challenging. So I'll give you one specific example. So if somebody has a blocked aortic valve and they need to have an aortic valve replaced, there's a relatively new procedure that's been around for about six or seven years in Canada and where you can replace that valve without having to open their chest. You can just make a little incision on their groin. You go in and you replace the valve. It takes usually about an hour to an hour and a half versus a standard aortic valve replacement, which will be about three hours or so. And with the newer procedure, it's a little incision on their groin. They're walking the same day. They're out of hospital in two or three days versus the other procedure in which they're here for four, five, six days. That newer valve, though, costs $25,000 per patient. The older valves cost about $5,000 per patient. So when you're going to Department of Health and to government, that's a difficult argument to make sometimes, right? But when you can show that you decrease their length of hospital stay, you get them home faster, you make them members of society, members of uh, society productive again at a much you know quicker level, then you can start to make the argument that that's a much better thing. And on the other hand, what's really driving that is that that's what patients are asking for. So patients are coming in and they're saying, look, you know, why are you going to crack my chest open when you can do this through the groin? I, I don't want that. So. There's several driving factors, and for us, it's always uh, the economic argument uh, in in this province often becomes the, the motivating factor for why we need to do something. 
Well, I, I think, uh, you know, Dave, you use the word frustrating. I, th- I think as an entrepreneurial mind that Mark obviously is, it's almost this amazing opportunity of innovation, even though w- within constraints, like there's nothing more exciting to have limitations and constraints and try to be creative and, and figure it out uh, with an entrepreneurial mindset, you know, and if, if similar to uh, other places in New Brunswick that we're trying to, other issues we're trying to tackle, we see New Brunswick as a, as a blank canvas of opportunity where if enough people are there to, to plead the case and prove the case, changes start happening quite rapidly in this small little place. But it's, it's almost like we need more uh, marks, you know, to, uh, to push that envelope in the medical system to, uh, to, to start seeing this happen and it's starting to happen. So uh, I'm sure it is incredibly frustrating, but also very exciting mm-hmm. as well because mm-hmm. it's, there's a changing of the tide mm-hmm. here that's being forced upon us, you know? Yeah, and, and you know, and, and, and I mean, when I think of frustration, generally I think frustration happens because we care. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. Um, so, so we're, we're going to wrap up here, Mark. Um, thank you so much, by the way, for, for being on. Uh, Dave, you're welcome. And, uh, and th- thanks for your time, Thanks, buddy. Mark. It's been awesome. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk soon. You guys are great. Thank you very much. Thank Take you. care. Okay, bye-bye. See you, buddy. <laughs> he I was know. awesome. Like, that was fantastic uh, uh, parallels. Oh, yeah. Uh, just uh, how huge of a uh, of a system that he has to work in and, and try to find efficiencies in. <laughs> and, and such a neat parallel between the U.S. and Canada. Or, totally. Yeah. And he is so, and you know what? Like, um, and I, I don't know enough enough people working within the system, you know what I mean? But I, I really would like to think that more leaders, healthcare leaders, have the kind of speak that Mark has, not only about patient care and being world-class, but about how to run the institution effectively and efficiently mm-hmm. and, and, you know, cost-effectively. Like, so, so I thought, so I really appreciate how you brought that in because that was, that was brilliant. Um, great guy. We need, and we need, you know, like every, every guest we have, um, just can, can shed light and kind of open your mind. All right, we'll see you next week, Dave. All right, Take care. Thanks for checking out this episode of Boiling Point. Remember to rate and subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Boiling Point Pod. To see more from Dave Vale, check out leadershipunleashed.ca or visioncoachinginc.com and on Twitter at Dave underscore Vale. And to catch up with Greg, visit hemmingshouse.com and at Greg Hemmings on Twitter. Thanks for listening and remember... Keep that pot boiling. Hi, this is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's blasttheradio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.